You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. You've noticed last week what we're doing in these two months July and into the first week of September, is I am taking the passage of the week. I explained this last week that every Sunday we have a passage of the week. It's not something that any of us come up with. We're, we're um, adopting the rhythm of what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. So we have a gospel reading every week, year-round, that follows the Christian calendar. It's, it's like a three-year cycle of gospel passages. And, uh, and so I incorporate that into the prayer school, the workshop that I do, and many of you have been a part of that. And so you're praying with these passages, you're, you're reflecting on these passages. And so for these two months, I'm taking the passage of the week and I'm preaching on the front end of that week. I'm preaching a message on that passage so that hopefully throughout the week as you're praying and reflecting, you know, the Holy Spirit is even growing and expanding your insights from that passage and you're encountering God uh, in that passage all week. So last week, uh, what did I preach on? Somebody tell me what I preached on last week. The Good Samaritan. There you go. So hopefully all week long, you know, you've had time to reflect and think upon that parable, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit has really spoken something profound to you out of that parable. I, I think this is helpful for us as a church. So we're going to do it again this week and, and for the rest of these two months. And our passage this week is right after the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. The title of the sermon is In the Dust of the Rabbi, and you'll see where that comes in a bit later. But we're going to be looking at uh, this episode where Jesus visits the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, the passage is very straightforward and it's short, so let's, let's kind of listen carefully to this parable, and then we're going to jump right into where I think, uh, where I just kind of feel led to go uh, this weekend. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. We got four verses here, actually five verses. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In late February of 2020, about a week or two before COVID-19 would shut the world down, I was still in Louisiana pastoring a church, and I was getting ready to leave the United States with 
a group of my church members, and we were going on a missions trip to Kenya. And so we flew out of Houston, and the way that I booked our itinerary, because we all uh, travel the same itinerary or on the same flights, is I made sure we had a long layover in Paris, about 11 hours. Because I'm a tall guy, I'm 6'3", and I, these long international flights are not friendly to me. And so I've learned when I, when I go on these kinds of trips to break those trips up for me. Now, some of you like to just get right there. For me, I like to break it up. And I like a lot of time between flights just to give my body time to rest and relax and refresh. And so uh, for the sake of our entire group, that's what I did. I booked our flight to stop in Paris for about 11 hours. And then from Paris, we would fly to Nairobi. So when we got to Paris, I arranged for us to have two rooms at one of the hotels there in the Paris airport. A room for the men, a room for the women, to just put all of our luggage in there. And in case anybody wanted to go change, or you know, if anybody happened to want to just take a siesta during that 11 hours and just rest and, and go to sleep, they, they were free to do that. But of course, when we landed there, uh, nobody wanted to take a nap. We were like, well, we're in Paris. We got 11 hours. Let's go do something. So that's what we did. Now, the airport in Paris is not in the city. It's just outside of the city of Paris. And so in order to get deep into the city, the most efficient way to do so was to take the, the train system, the metro system there. And, and I've been on a lot of these metros and subways here in the United States and around the world, but this was the most unique experience I've had because we got onto the train and the airport is kind of like the last stop on one edge of the map. So there's nobody really on the train. We get on the train and we had maybe like 15 to 20 stops before we were gonna get where we wanted to go. And every time we stopped, it seemed to me that nobody was getting off and a whole slew of people was getting on the train. And so 15 stops into this, you know, maybe we have like three or four more stops to go. It had gotten to the point where this train was so packed with people. And I've never been in this kind of scenario where all of these people who I do not know, they are up against me. <laughs> and we were packed into the subway car like a pack of sardines. And, and remember, this is like a week or two before COVID-19 shuts the world down. Nobody's got a mask on. This was like before anybody was wearing masks. And so that wasn't even a thought. But I, I, I was so uncomfortable. I had this guy up against my back, breathing down my neck. Somebody else is right here. I'm holding on to the thing, and I got this woman's head underneath my armpit. And I'm thinking, man, I hope I wore deodorant today, you know? But here's the reality of this moment. I'll never forget it. In this moment, on this subway, on this, on this train, I have proximity to all these people, but I don't have intimacy with them. I'm physically close to these people. In fact, I'm uncomfortably close to these people. But I don't know their names. I don't know where they're from. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know their personalities, their interests, their passions. I don't even know their language. I don't know the first thing about them. I'm close to them, but I'm not close to them. And I, I just often wonder, and I don't, I don't mean this in any kind of condemning way, but I just wonder how true it may be of churchgoers across America 
How possible is it that someone can have proximity to Jesus and yet not have intimacy with him? We may have proximity. We, we attend a worship service once a week. Maybe we have a Bible in our home. Maybe we periodically listen to worship music or something like that. We have proximity to the things of God. But when it comes to the way we actually live our lives, the way we orient ourselves to the world around us, even our own neighborhoods, when it comes to whatever motivates you to get up in the morning, when it comes to what drives your life and the processes that govern your decision-making, Jesus is not so much integrated into these things. He's on the periphery. We have proximity, but we don't have intimacy. You understand what I'm saying? I think that's one of the things that perhaps Martha can represent for us in this story. Martha had proximity to Jesus. He's in the room with her, but she doesn't have intimacy with him. Now, Martha had a sister called Mary, and it says this literally. It says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Now, when it tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, it's not just telling us where Mary was physically located in the room. Even though she may literally have been sitting at his feet, I'm sure she was. But that phrase, to sit at someone's feet, was an expression. It was an idiom. In fact, it's transcended cultures. We even use it sometimes in the way we speak. But, but to sit at one's feet was an expression that indicated the relationship between a rabbi and a disciple. For example, you know, it's often said that the philosopher Plato sat at the feet of Socrates. Or you might remember in the book of Acts, when Paul is kind of giving some of his story, he indicates, he says, I sat at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. What is Paul saying? He's saying Gamaliel was my rabbi. I was his disciple. And so when it tells us, when Luke specifically uses that verbiage, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, what he's telling us is that Mary assumes the posture of a student, of an apprentice, and as Jesus is talking with Mary, they're not talking about the weather. He is giving her formal instruction and ministry training as one of his disciples. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. A disciple was someone who had made a decision never to let the rabbi out of his sight. He was with the rabbi at all times. Not only when the rabbi was formally teaching people, but even in everyday life activities. Why? Because the disciple wanted to learn, how does the rabbi handle money? How does the rabbi handle conflict? How does the rabbi treat the opposite sex? A disciple was with the rabbi not only when he was teaching, but even when he's cooking meals, when he's sweeping floors when he's doing his chores. Listen, even when the rabbi went to the bathroom, the disciple would often follow him inside. 
Why? Because he was so worried that he would miss out on a key insight, a key revelation for life. Now, none of you do that with me. I don't need anybody following me into bathrooms. Leave me alone. But you know, the Jews, some of you may have heard this. The Jews used to have a blessing that they would say to one another. They would often say, may you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that means is, may you follow your rabbi so closely that the dust that kicks up from his sandals covers your face. I was reading a long time ago, I was reading about this experiment that was done where a scientist had taken a mother duck and uh, these eggs that she had hatched. And, and he was with this, this duck and her, her eggs. And whenever the eggs hatched and the ducklings emerged, he separated the mother and put the mother in a different room. And he sat in this room with these little baby ducklings for like two or three hours. And then after that period of time, he stood up and he started walking around the room. And these ducklings started following him around the room because they assumed that the scientist was their mother. Science tells us that whenever a duckling is born, within two hours of that duckling's birth, the image of its mother's face is imprinted on the baby's brain. And from that moment forward, the duckling instinctively follows the mother everywhere she goes so that it can learn how to live life. And, and once that image of its mother's face is imprinted on the baby's brain, the effect is irreversible. And the relationship between that mother and that duckling is irreplaceable. Even if the mother were to tragically die just within two hours of that baby's birth, there's no other duck, there's no other animal, there's no other object that could ever take the place in that relationship between the duck and the duckling. You see, what I want you to understand is that a disciple is somebody who had made the decision never to let the rabbi out of his sight because every activity in life is an opportunity to learn how to be more like him. And see, I think the point that I want to make out of this is, is just simply this. In this room, we have a lot of people and we all have different lives. Some of you are retired. Some of you are a student and you have your summer that's completely free and you've got a lot of time. And, and if you wanted to, you could take an hour or so a day and pray. You got a lot of time on your hands. Others of you don't have that kind of time. Your life is full of other things. You, you have kids, you have grandkids, You've got, to, you've got to go to work across the city. You've got a long commute. You've got a lot of things that go on. And, and I think, unfortunately, one of the things that preachers do a lot is we, we try to force a rigid system of spiritual disciplines upon people whose stage of life is not conducive to, to adopt that kind of rhythm. I may have the luxury of adopting a slew of spiritual disciplines in my life and spending a great deal of time in prayer and studying scripture and, and a variety of different things. But for me to try to foist that upon someone else, I think is graceless. And what I want you to understand is, is, is 
there can be a completely different approach to spiritual growth. Whatever your stage of life is, no matter how much stuff you've got going on in your life, your stage of life is not a barrier to your discipleship. No matter what you're doing, you're driving down the five, or you're at your desk working, or you're at home washing dishes, or you're out in the lawn watering your lawn, no matter what I'm doing, it can become a spiritual activity and I can be sitting at the feet of my rabbi, Jesus. All it requires is for me to just simply invite him into what I'm doing and say, Lord, be with me in this moment. I want to be covered in the dust of my rabbi. And see, that's the decision that Mary makes in this story. Not to be, not to be lazy and make Martha do all the work, but to simply be with Jesus no matter what's going on. Now, meanwhile, Martha's in the kitchen, and Martha's preparing this nice meal. I, I like to think of it as a big pot of crawfish etouffee. And she's, she's working in the kitchen, and I want you to notice the, the word that Luke uses to describe her. I had you repeat it. It's the word distracted. I want you to notice Luke doesn't say Martha was too busy. It doesn't say she was overcommitted. It doesn't say she was overextended. It only says Martha was distracted. And Martha looks over at Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet, and she sees two problems with this. Number one, rabbis don't have female disciples. That was an absolute no-no in ancient Jewish culture. In fact, most of the world would have been very patriarchal at this time. And so we've got to keep this clear delineation. It's the men over here, the women over here. The women stay in the kitchen. Men, men are the ones who get to benefit from the instruction of the rabbi. And Martha's really upset about this, that Mary's violating this convention. In fact, not even just Mary, but Jesus apparently is violating this. So rabbis don't have female disciples. But the second problem that she has is even more concerning. Rabbis... We're never supposed to be alone with a woman talking to them, having a conversation with a woman. That was something that was considered scandalous. If something like this gets out, if people find out that Rabbi Jesus is having a private conversation with Mary, with a woman, this would have been front page news in the Jerusalem Post. And so Martha's freaking out. She's like, what if people find out about this? What's going to happen to Mary's reputation or Jesus's reputation or my reputation? Doesn't Mary know she belongs in the kitchen helping me prepare this meal? And finally, her frustration boils over. And she goes to Jesus and she says, and I'm quoting, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Now, can you kind of just sense in her words that it's, it's not just Mary she's upset with. She's also not too thrilled with Jesus either. She's basically telling him, Lord, if you're really compassionate, you'll make certain other people around here do what I want them to do. Now, when I was a kid, I was extremely mischievous. Uh, my parents have dozens of stories of my mischievous activity when I was a kid, and those stories get told every single Christmas. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure if you stick around here for, for a while, you'll probably at some point uh, benefit from hearing those stories. But I had, a, 
I had a, a set of parents. I don't know if your parents were like this when you were little, but I had a set of parents who, especially my mom, that whenever I got in trouble for doing something and my mom found out about it, um, she would call me not just by my first name, but she would use my middle name in conjunction. How many of you had a mom or dad like that? All right. So like I would be on one of the house. I had already done something, maybe like burned a hole in the carpet. True story. And, and my mom would, would find out about it on the other side of the house. And I would hear my mom. She would say, Ryan Frank. Ryan Frank. And that's how I knew. Oh, this is serious. <laughs> this is a big deal. I'm in trouble here. That's kind of what Jesus does here with Martha. Now, they didn't have middle names in that culture. So, so notice what Jesus does. He, he just calls her by her first name twice. Martha, Martha. And by the way, any time in the scriptures where Jesus calls somebody by their first name twice, it means he's really trying to get their attention. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I mean, he's, he's trying to snap her into gear here. Some of you remember that sitcom back in the 70s, The Brady Bunch, before my time. But you remember Marsha, 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 right? That's what Jesus is doing. Martha, Martha, Martha. Now, I, wanna, I want you to just think about it for a moment. Has Martha committed some grave sin? Has she, has she done something scandalous? Has she done something horrific? Let's just be honest about it. When we look at Martha's activity in this story, she hasn't broken any of the Ten Commandments. She hasn't gossiped about anybody. She hasn't really sinned in any overt way. In fact, when you look at Martha in this story, she's actually helping people by cooking a meal. She's serving. She's act she, she, you could put it like this. She's actually doing ministry. So what's the problem? The problem is Martha is so in, engaged in helping and serving and doing ministry and what she's doing that she's forgotten that the most important thing is to simply be with Jesus and in, just enjoy the presence of Jesus and allowing him to fill us with his love. I learned this lesson the hard way about five years ago. I had been pastoring for about three or four years. Things were on the move in our church. Our school was growing. Our church was growing. The income of the church, the tithes and offerings was the largest it had ever been. I'm launching new ministries. Things are moving, I'm doing. I'm serving. I'm stirring that pot of crawfish etouffee, you know. And late 2015, early 2016, the bottom falls out of our local economy. Offshore oil drilling, huge economic depression in south central Louisiana. Our whole industry was based on that. I've shared about this in the past, but it was a huge blow to our church and our school. And that external crisis exposed an internal deficit. 
And I realized in that crisis, I didn't have the interior resources to navigate that external storm. And I did something that I had never done. I've shared this before. I won't, I won't uh, go into great detail. But I went on a spiritual retreat. I was desperate. I realized I'm about to break. And at this spiritual retreat, I made a decision. I said, if there's one thing I want to learn how to do really well as a pastor, more so than anything else, preaching, keeping a budget, leading a staff, launching new ministries, if there's one thing I want to excel at, it's got to be prayer. I got to learn how to pray in a way that's going to sustain me no matter what's going on externally. Because before I'm a preacher, before I'm a pastor, before I'm anything else, I'm a child of God. And more than God wants my preaching, more than he wants my teaching, more than he wants my writing or anything else I can give him, God wants me. He wants me to learn how to just simply be his beloved child. Because my being is what sustains my doing. And this is what Jesus, I believe, is trying to get across to Martha. He says, Martha, you're so worried and upset about all of these things, but only one thing is needed. And, and he says this. This is really interesting, really cool. It doesn't show up in the English, but I'll explain. He says, Mary has chosen what is better. And that word better, in the original language, in the Greek, it's a play on words. It's a pun. It doesn't translate into the English, but it can be understood to mean a better portion, as in a portion of food. So watch what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Martha, you're so busy trying to prepare this nice meal for everybody, but the real feast, the real banquet is in here. Come to the table. I'm going to close with this. Maybe 12 or 13 years ago, I was preaching in a church. I used to travel about five, for about five years. I used to travel and preach and do music in churches full time. And, and so I've spoken in a lot of churches. And I was in this one particular church. I'll, I'll never forget this experience. It was the most mundane thing, but it just stuck with me. And it was right before the service. It was in a church in, in North Louisiana. And I went to the men's restroom. I was washing my hands. And as I was washing my hands, I looked into the mirror and I noticed that on the opposite wall, hanging above one of the, the bathroom stalls in the men's restroom, there was a picture frame and it caught my eye. So I, I walked over to it and I, no, I saw that inside of this picture frame, there's a Bible verse that was needle pointed on the inside. It's the verse at the end of the Great Commission where Jesus says, remember, I am with you always. And I thought it was a little weird because it was hanging over a bathroom stall. <laughs> kind of makes you paranoid, you know, like, remember, I'm with you always. And it's such a simple little, little sentence. It's a simple little thought, but it really is so profound that whether you feel it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, God is literally with you and accessible to you at all times. And any moment of your day can be a moment where you're sitting at Jesus' feet, just being present to him while you're cooking a meal, while you're on your commute. Whatever you're doing, any moment can be a moment where you can just be with Jesus. 
All it requires is for you to just pause and say, Lord, be with me in this moment. I want to be covered in the dust of my rabbi. Now next week, the passage of the week is the Lord's Prayer. I preached in the Lord's Prayer already a few months ago. We're not going to do that. But I'm going to go deeper into this. I'm going to actually kind of take it in a slightly different direction. But I want to build upon what I'm talking about this morning or this evening. So we're going to go into detail a little bit more next weekend. But for now, I just want you to imagine what your day can be like with Jesus. It doesn't mean that you don't have other things you're doing. You're, you have other things you're doing. God wants you to be a responsible human being and work hard and pay your bills and spend time with people and invest in your family. This is stuff that needs to get done. Amen? I, I don't think God wants you to just lock yourself in a closet in prayer 24 hours a day. That's, that's actually not being very faithful to his vision in the world, right? So, but there's, there's a way that we can learn over time to invite God into our everyday, ordinary life. And so here's the thing that I want you to perhaps, I just want to invite you to do this. And if you don't do it, it's fine. But I'm going to invite you to do this. Every day this week, choose one time, one time of the day, decide what it is before you leave tonight. Maybe even put a timer on your phone and say, at this particular moment, I'm going to pause I'm going to just take five minutes and be present to Jesus. However you spend that five minutes, you can spend it reflecting on this passage of the week. You can take a moment and just take inventory of the blessings God has given you that day and express gratitude. Whatever it might be. Maybe you just sit in complete silence and just enjoy his presence. But just take a pause. Maybe it's at lunch where I'm just going to sit in this recliner and we're going to be present to the Lord. And just work on that this week. One time of the day. For me, it'll be apart from my normal prayer time. I pray in the morning, so sometime in the middle of the day, I'm going to pause. And I'm going to find a place to just be alone, be present to the Lord, and enjoy His presence. And I think the more we can incorporate that kind of rhythm, the more aware and the more present we will be, not only to God, but to the opportunities around us. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.